So I had to go and learn all that. I had to learn that skill set to be at, to compete at the top of the food chain. And then when I take that skill set and I go and do my own personal work or whatever, I carry all that skill set with me. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Photo Pros Weekly. I'm Brandon Heiss and I'm here again with Olivia Tuttle. This week we're going to take a deep dive in with Joel Grimes. Now Joel is a commercial advertising photographer based out of the Phoenix, Arizona area. Joel, how the heck are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me on here. Well, we're happy to have you. And uh, for those people that don't know Joel Grimes, which I don't know if there are many of them out there, Joel, tell us about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your career and what you've been up to lately. Well, you know, I, I, I started uh, photography classes in high school, and I'd already been very much into, like, drawing and uh, I just loved the idea of doing like either an art project or something that I could put my name on and step back and look at it and say, that's mine. I did that. That's my creation. And so when I picked up photography, I thought, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. But I never really thought about it as a career. Um, my dad was a fireman, a fire chief of Tucson. Um, two of my brothers became firemen. Um, so my dad wanted me to be a fireman. <laughs> and so, but I had this, I don't know, I just, something about it. I wanted to be an artist, photographer type person. You were the and rebel. So I started taking, you were, you're the re you were the rebel of the family. You were the black sheep of the family. What'd your, what'd your it, dad well, think? I mean, he, you, and, you didn't live up to his expectations of being a fireman. Yeah. I have a friend of mine whose uh, mother started to get dementia and he'd go visit her. And she couldn't remember his name, and they had four kids, I think. But she'd say, you're the one that caused me to have lots of problems. <laughs> so she remembered you. She couldn't remember his name, but she remembered he was a, he was a handful. Uh -huh. And I think my parents would be the same. Uh, my dad's passed away, but my mom would say, yeah, that Joel was a handful. Um, but I, I think photography is this incredible sort of arena of uh, or a world that has a mixture of both technical and the creative. It's two worlds that have to collide. I think often we tend to uh, gravitate to one side or the other a little bit. Um, so we tend to be more technical. And then we, you know, when it comes to the creative process, we scratch our head and go, what, what, what should I do? Some people are so creative. They don't know how to focus their camera. You know, maybe that's part of their technique. They, you know, shoot everything out of focus, whatever it is. But <laughs> That's the I art. It's, yeah, it's the art, right? I think my goal from, from early days was to be able to blend those two worlds together. So I always look at, say, a weakness that I have, which we all have plenty of weaknesses. I have many. And I think, how do I overcome that? How do we get better at that? There are things that come really easy for me. So I go, well, I don't have to work on that because, you know, it comes easy. So I've been... Uh, I'm a very goal-oriented person. Um, I, I look out way ahead and I say, that's where I want to end up. And then I go and I beat whatever it is into the ground and I work hard and I get to that end result. And I think often what happens is people see you at the end result 
And then they say, oh, you are amazing. You're talented. You're gifted. You're all these things. When they don't really see that it took me 10 years or 20 the years 10, or whatever hours hard work. That yeah, you, yeah exactly. and that's the old 10,000 hour, hour rule, right? That you have yeah, to put yeah. in. And they, they just see you at the finish line and they say, man, Joel's got it easy, you know? So, so, so I, I, I've also had to learn to adapt to change in the industry. Uh, a lot of my colleagues in the, the, I started out in Denver as a commercial photographer um, and, and rubbed elbows with a lot of young photographers. We went through the ranks together. Um, but a lot of them could not make the change from, well, film to digital or other changes too in the industry. They just couldn't do it. And they died um, by the wayside. And I, I, one of the things I, I have to do or I'm always thinking about is where is the market going? What can I do to adjust myself to that market change? Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's a lot of more work than I want. But I know that I can't just sit idle. So that's part of my, I think, success has been that I'm willing to uh, pull up my bootstraps and say, okay, I, I don't want to learn this or I don't, you know, this is over my head or my, my mindset doesn't really fit this very well, but I have to learn it and I'm going to learn it to get to that end result and continue to be a working photographer. I always say, I want to be a working photographer. That's been my goal for, since I was in 19 years old and uh, make a living with my camera. That's, that's the, the sort of what I set out to do. So give us an example of that. I mean, is it one of those things where you see everybody running one way and you want to run the opposite way because you want to be different because you think you're more marketable that way? I mean, why, why do you think that is? I, I think that early on I, I was involved in music, was in a band, used to write and sing songs and stuff. And you have to analyze you know, when, you, when you go to become a songwriter or, or produce a what we call a signature or a sound or something that people uh, um, remember you by. Um, you have to be marketable, um, but you have to stand out too. So um, I think that with that um, sort of early sort of uh, arena that I had to work in a little bit, also it translates into photography. Um, I think that um, I, I, I like the idea of being an individual. I like the idea of having uh, a signature brand or something that separates me from the masses. And I think it's very difficult on one hand to do that. And the reason why it's so difficult is that most human beings, and I'm guilty of this too, uh, to some degree, is that I want to please everyone. And that when I go to create, I'm get, I get nervous that if I do something, maybe I take a risk and I try something, that people aren't going to like it. They're going to criticize me. It's, I'm stepping too far outside of the traditional you know, circle of what we are, call acceptable photography. And so I think that fear often keeps us from really being who we are, right? Uh, an individual with a certain – I work really well under a certain parameter. I'm colorblind. Um, I would call myself somewhat technical, but – when it comes to math or something like that, um, you know, I couldn't code, you know, uh, I could, there's, my brain doesn't work in, in that uh, world of abstracts. I'm very visual. Uh, but if I have to learn something technical, I will. And if you look at my lighting, the lighting techniques that I've come up with over the years, 
it's they've all sort of fallen into my lap because I have uh, explored them visually. I take a softbox and I go, what happens if I back it up five feet? What happens if I bring it in 22 inches from the subject? What happens if I use three lights, two lights, or a, a reflector? Or I, I'm I'm always challenging myself to say, what if I tried this? And you know, and in that process, I have discovered what I think is I call it I crack the code to lighting. Um, I, I know how light works now, and it's all been visual. It's a visual process, um, observing it, experimenting it, and then not. It's not a, a notebook with a bunch of calculations in it that tell me what to do. It's my ability to see and my intuition to tell me what I'm doing right or wrong. But going back to this concept that as we call photographer, artists, creatives, we, I see and I have to really force myself to think that if I feel like what I'm doing fits me, then I'm going to refine that and and do really. I'm going to work that that whatever that problem I'm, I'm trying to solve or that risk that I'm taking. I'm going to do it really well, and at the end result of that, I'm going to make a stamp that has Joel Grimes on it. And so I'm willing to take that risk and that 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 journey down to that end. And, and sometimes at the beginning, I've had colleagues say, "Joel, that stuff. You, you, no one's going to like that. That's the, you're going <laughs> to. That's not going to work in the industry." And then later on, it really did. It it, it yeah. put me on the map. So, but I I had to refine it. I think a lot of times people try something and they do it poorly. Yeah, it, they're on the they right give track, up. but they, and they give up they immediately. Give up. Yeah. Yes, they don't finish it off and refine it. But um, if you look at music, and music is such a great. Uh, uh, sort of industry analogy to look at how you look at someone like Bob Dylan, I, you know, maybe some of your viewers don't even know who Bob Dylan is. They're that young, <laughs> but, but you know, he's a nasally voice and, you know, he knows like 10 chords. That's all he knows on the guitar. But, you know, he had such a big influence in the industry because he did his way. He had a signature voice, signature sound, and he was a poet. Um, and, and, and you may not like, his uh, style, but we know who Bob Dylan is for the right. most part. Right. Um, so that's why I say to young photographers is take that risk, go out and literally beat something, an idea into the ground enough. And you will, you'll get an audience that will love it. That's just the way the world works. Because think about this. Have you, you ever, you ever seen someone drive a car, brand new car, and you look at that car and you go, why would anyone buy that? That's the ugliest yeah. car, that, yeah. uh, you know, on the market. Chevy there's Avalanche someone... in 1999 for me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few duds out there, yeah. right? But, but, um, uh, yeah, but, but they paid the money and, and they think it's a great car. And I think the same thing happens with um, what carpet we pick or what couch we, you know, buy. You scratch your head at some people's choices. You have to be a trendsetter. You have to. You have to. You know blaze a few trails out there and and I think you know obviously I think I will say this like you've you've kind of proved yourself you've 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 done this long enough that that people look up to you and respect you and so you can be a trendsetter because you've kind of earned some of that respect not not to say you you're you know you're still not fighting for something new every day but I think you've you have a proven track record that you've done something that works and so I think 
you know, some will say, well, Joel, Joel can try something new because he's already got that track record and Joel can kind of push the boundaries a little bit and people respect that because Joel is who Joel, Joel is. So what would you say to that? You know, if people say, well, you can get away with more because you've, you've kind of proved yourself. Yeah. There, there are times I get a pass and then I, I, I look at that and I think, well, I don't deserve a pass. I mean, I think, um, I should be, uh, critiqued on the level of everyone else. But there, there are a lot of times I get shredded. People shred my work all the time. They say, you're, you know, uh, sometimes nasty things about me. Uh, and my wife doesn't like that. But, um, you know, that I'm full of it or whatever it is that I'm doing, that, you know, um, or, or, or things where I'll do something. And like, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll do a picture that's an Irving Penn sort of influence. And then someone will say, well, you're just copying Irving Penn. I'm like, well, yeah, he influenced me. I mean, back, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, 70s, he was the king of portrait uh, beauty fashion. And and I'm influenced by that, you know. And so, and there's nothing wrong with being influenced. But I'm not, I'm not setting out necessarily to copy Irving Penn. But um, so I have to, you know, look at that and go, well, well, okay, whatever, you know. Um, I think some people just want to be mean. And so you get a lot of those people on, on social media, but, but, um, one of the things that I think that has served me very well, and I think that your, your, your listeners and viewers may, uh, think about this. And that is, I came out of the fine arts with a degree in photography at the university of Arizona. So that did not set me up for success in the real world. I can tell you that. Um, and, and so I had, didn't have a clue at what arena, like you, we were talked about maybe, you know, did I do weddings? Yeah, I did about 30 weddings in college. Um, you know, I wanted to be a working photographer. I didn't know what that meant. And so I, I had to look at the industry. I didn't know ad agencies versus graphic design studios or editorial versus corporate, corporate work, or I didn't know those terms at all. So I was as blind as you can be going out into the, the world. I had a buddy who graduated from Art Center in Pasadena, and he understood advertising. So he knew that arena. So when we shared a studio and got together, he said to me, we're going after ad agencies. That's the arena to go after. And I'm like, okay. I didn't know what that meant, right? So I was very fortunate that I had someone that pushed me in that direction. And the reason why that was so important is because that's where the money is. Number one, not that it's all about money, but that's where the money is. But also the advertising arena is the pinnacle of, of the best photography, meaning that it is, it is the, you know, because you have to sell an ad and you have to sell your viewer three, you got three seconds to sell your viewer. It has to be super clean. This it's a, it's the highest pinnacle of the craft. Um, at least in my opinion, as a, as a photographer, now you could say, um, Henry Carter Brisson was a street photographer and he was the decisive moment. And I, I'm not talking about street photography, but, um, or if you're a travel photographer, National Geographic might be the pinnacle of, of success in that arena. But, but if you look at advertising, it is the best of the best. And so I had to go and learn all that. I had to learn that skill set to be at, to compete at the top of the food chain. And then when I take that skill set and I go and do my own personal work or whatever, I carry all that skill set with me. 
And so uh, you look at my work, it's very clean. It's lit as perfect as, you know, I could possibly do it, but it's, it's thought out. It's not just throw a light up. Sure. Everything's methodical and and planned out and, you know. So, and and that was a good, um, I guess a good flight for me, a plight, I guess that's the right word, but a, a projection of me going and saying, I want to work at the top of the food chain. And, and so a lot of people, they send me work or I look at work and it's sloppy. They just do sloppy stuff. And you look at that and you go, well, okay, with time, they're going to get better. Cause a lot of times you, you start out doing sloppy stuff and then you clean it up as you get better and better because you're practicing over and over. But I think you have to think about if you're, for example, a wedding photographer, I use this analogy all the time. And this is really important to understand. And I'm not a psychologist or uh, I was barely a C student. So when it comes to analyzing things, uh, maybe I'm missing the mark. But I feel like I really understand human behavior and also how how people behave. And uh, I'll give you an example how I think. You're a wedding photographer and you want to make a living with your camera and you're out there trying to drum up business uh, for your, for your livelihood and you're spinning your wheels. And there's always five photographers that pretty much rule every city, five wedding photographers that rule, right? They're all busy. They're all working. They're crazy, you know? Um, But if you put your, and I do this when I go and I pitch an ad agency and um, I think about, who am I pitching? What is that person thinking across the, the desk from me or whatever? Um, or in the boardroom, I'm showing a portfolio or a client, a CEO or whatever. And um, what is their goals? What, what is it that a CEO wants? Um, or if I'm doing an annual report or something where uh, there's an oil and gas company, what is their goal? What, what, are, they, what, are, what are they trying to project uh, to the outside world about their company? And they're using photography to do that. So I'm always thinking about the the person that I'm that I'm pitching or I'm working for. But if you go back to weddings, think about this: uh, Who is it that you have to win over to sign someone to sign you up for a wedding? The mother or the bride. The mother and the, the mother and the bride. Okay. Now, the mother and bride uh, are when they be, begin the process of putting this wedding day, this big, incredible day. It's, it's the day that has to be recorded, you know, and a lot of money, a lot of money is going into this day. It's a big deal. And what, where is the bride to be and the mother looking for ideas? What, what, what is it that they're looking at when they go and say, I want this a cake. I want this dress. I want I'll ask this Olivia that style. Olivia Olivia's in that market. Other people's weddings. Yeah. Other people's weddings, Pinterest, social mm-hmm. media. Well, okay. You go, you go to bridal magazines. Yeah. Okay. You go to Pinterest, you go to all these places, right? And you're looking at the best of the best photography. Okay. So you go to a bridal magazine and we, we've kind of passed we don't use as many magazines today as we used to. We use the internet more now, but just to kind of cruise through and look at ideas. But, but if you still think about this, if you look at a bridal magazine and you, um, you open it up, what a lot of people don't understand is that the, uh, 
any magazine, but a bridal magazine has ad content, editorial content. It's mixed in together, right? So you open a page, there's an ad. Wow. And they've paid hundreds, uh, maybe not hundreds, but let's say $100,000 or maybe $80,000 to pull off that ad campaign. And then you have the editorial content, which is a lower end of photography, but it's still a pretty good look. It's got, they got the photographers are doing it. They're not shooting a bride uh, in this columns of incredible interior, exterior or whatever of some place with the light absolutely perfect on the bride. That's not for a bride. That's for the magazine. <laughs> so they got the best locations, the best dress, the best makeup, the best models, everything. everything. Yes. And then the bride and the groom or the bride and the mother look at that and they go, Oh my gosh, look at that dress. Oh, look at that hairstyle. Look at the, look at this, look at that, look at, and that's what they're dreaming of that for that wedding to come. Right. So what I say is that for you to win over the wedding market, you have to produce images that are on the same quality as ad ad work or high end editorial work. Yeah. If you don't, what happens is, the bride-to-be and the mother come into your studio or whatever it is. They go to your website, and they look at your work, and it's okay photography. It's good, but it's not really up to the same level as an advertising or a really high-end editorial photographer. So how do you feel like that differs from, I mean, any other client? I understand, like, a bride's very picky about what she wants, but, you know, with commercial photography, do you feel like you're competing against, I guess— other commercial work. You always are. Yeah. No matter what you're doing, you're always competing against the top of the food chain. It trickles down from there. So I always say as a photographer, let's say I live in uh, Podunk, Iowa somewhere, and I, there's a, a town of 100,000 people, and I want to make a good living there. I still have to go and develop the skill sets that compete on a national level because that will always give me a line of people out my door. Yeah. So if you're a photographer and you're not busy, it's because you're not, you generally don't have your skills level up to the, what it should be. And you're not a very good marketer. And so um, you have to learn those two skill sets. Yeah. If you don't, you'll always be starving. And this kind of goes back to, I think when I asked you, you know, why are you running the uh, different direction? You gave an answer and it's like, you have that artistic blood in you, but you're also kind of a rare breed where you're not all artsy. You also have the work ethic and the and the, and the marketing, mm -hmm. the, the drive. Yeah, yeah that was drive. kind of one of my I mean, you you too. you complete the puzzle. Like it's, I know so many people that are purely artistic and they're amazing, but they won't ever sell. I mean, a piece, just period. They they do it maybe because it's their their pleasure or you know they're just extremely talented. But and then I know people who are extremely good marketers, you know, but they're not artists and they're not you know. And so you're kind of bridging that gap with your drive from getting from that artistic side and then the drive carries you onto the marketing side and that helps you as, as, a, as a seller. And the, well, and the reason why I even have what I would call a skill set in marketing is because that was a part of the puzzle that was, I was very weak at mm -hmm. and I knew I had to learn it. So where'd you learn it? Did you have, did you have a group of like colleagues? Did you, was it a studio uh, mate that, that helped you? It was mainly my, my first 
uh, studio mate Steve uh, Steve uh, Salmon's a friend of mine that we got a studio together in Denver. He was the art center guy. He was a really good at marketing. What what I learned from him was uh, in the early early first part of it was how to make cold calls, and it was so brutal. Uh, in the early days for me to make a cold call that I'd literally be shaking on the phone. So nervous. And, and I knew I had to overcome that. And I knew that if, if I practiced it enough, eventually I would. And I think that's from my sport days of learning how to, you know, hit a, hit a, hit a ball or whatever it is in sports that the more you practice, the greater the end result will be. So I eventually got really good at cold calling and, and then, of course, sending out packets and, and all the, the marketing side of things. And so that's been my life. Marketing has been my life for the last 35 years. I thought when I went to school, I would be a photographer. <laughs> so but what percentage I is the, the photography? I think a lot of people are curious. What percentage of your work is behind the camera? I had I had the saying that I used to do, and I would say, if I'm not shooting, I'm not in front of that camera, either testing a shot or shooting for a client, I'm marketing. So I shoot, market, shoot, market, shoot, market. That was my, my motto. And uh, the other thing that a lot of photographers did was they would shoot for a client and then they'd sit there and wait for the phone to ring. Yeah. So would you say it's 50-50 or do you think you're focused more on marketing? I think that marketing is about 70% of the time. Yeah, that seems about I right. I hate to say that. Well, but that's about it's it's real. I mean, and I think that's what people like to hear is like, you know, and I think a lot of people say, well, I got an Instagram page and uh, I set up my Facebook and um, now I'm just ready for the calls to come well, in. Well, and they might think like pushing more content out there is going to get the recognition that they want. But like you said, you have to put yourself out there yeah. in other ways. I, I have this saying, and it was a slide I use when I do my marketing stuff. It says persistence. We'll win over more art directors or clients than a great portfolio. Yeah, I think that's true so in many things in life too. Persistence will yep. pay dividends. Whatever you're trying to achieve. See, we we think we think it's kind of a blow to our ego when we think that my photography is not enough, or it should be right. enough. But it's not. Right. It's not enough. It's a blow to me that I have to actually go out there and hustle. Yeah and try to twist people's arms, <laughs> but I have to. All right, Joel, we're going to switch gears. We're so, going to switch gears a little bit. You slipped something in, and I don't want to let it go. You are colorblind, mm -hmm. and you're very open about this. Yes. Uh, for anybody that knows Joel, uh, give, me, give me the example how you think that helps you as a photographer and how you think that limits you as a photographer. Well, in the early days... I thought it would limit me. And I discovered something amazing. And that is, what, what, when I first was doing architecture work and I'd go into a, an interior and I'd have to get the right color balance. And the lab that I used in Denver at the time, there was a guy that kind of gave me a little tip that really helped me. And this is back in the film days, but I would walk in with a 35 millimeter, let's say I was shooting... Um, uh, you know, a slide film, uh, I, a code, not Kodachrome, but an Ektachrome slide film, whatever, transparency film. And I would go and I would go to this building, a scout, and I would just take a picture, click, handhold, whatever. 
And then I'd bring it back. We'd process the film. And then he'd lay it on, on a light balance, color balance table. And then he'd put these little gels in front of it. And he'd go, okay, Joel, you need uh, 20 magenta and a 10 yellow. Then I'd go back with my four by five and I'd put those little filters on there and I'd take the picture and come back. And it, every time it, it nailed it. Hmm. Didn't have a color meter. So, so he was your stuff. cheat. He was so your cheat really, secret, secret weapon back then. Yeah. Well, back then that really helped yeah. me a lot because I couldn't, I couldn't determine that now. But as I uh, shifted into, but even before digital, I was doing a lot of black and white, very delicate portraits. And I think I see light. I see, say, I see light, how light strikes a face. I'm very, very critical on, I mean, just the Rembrandt triangle or just how a certain gradation across one cheek looks uh, on film or on digital. I'm, 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 I move my light or my subject to get that perfect, uh, you know, light on the yeah. face. So I've been doing that for years. What happened when I went from the film days to digital days, or where we're at now, where I had to learn Photoshop and and uh, manipulating my images, I I realized that I had to separate myself from the masses. I learned that when I shot Type 55 four by five portraits for for ten years, and it, and it launched me nationally. And because I had this certain look, this certain feel, and art directors really responded to it. So when when that look kind of came to an end, the digital started exploding, and more more color. People wanted color, and they and a lot of photographers were going really saturated. Super saturated. Yeah, that was the, the, the nasty and, part of the early digital age. <laughs> yeah, and so what I did is I went the opposite. I went desaturated color. Which would help you. Because that's how I yeah. see. And what I realized is that all these non-colorblind people were clamoring to figure out how I was getting my end results mm. in Photoshop. Hmm. And that's how I got... Um, uh, I remember buying... Uh, Kelby one or Kelby back then it was Kel uh, what was it before Kelby one Kelby training and Kelby one, but I remember buying uh, a, a membership and going on there and going looking at stuff you know, and then one day I came across a blog and it was Scott Kelby trying to tell people well this is how Joel Grimes does his thing you know he I didn't even know Scott he didn't know me but he was trying to figure it out because people were asking about it and I when I came across that blog. My jaw hit the floor, and I thought, "How can a colorblind person <laughs> be influencing the industry <laughs> at a certain look?" I just couldn't believe it. But it, but it, what it did was, is it, what I realized is that I create a photo in Photoshop the way I like mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I make decisions based on what I like, and a lot of times I am not really aware of the subtleties of the color changes. I'm just looking at the screen, going too green or too this, too that, I'm pulling sliders and I go, I like it. Then I send it out and people go, oh my gosh, what is he doing? What gradient techniques is he doing to get that look, right? And so uh, I realized that um, my color blindness actually has become the ace up my sleeve, so to speak. It's the, it's the, um, the thing that sort of helps me separate myself from the masses because I'm going down a path that fits me 100% perfectly. And I've, I've done gazillions of high-end ad campaigns where I am retouching all the final images. 
and I'm handing those images to the art directors and they're putting them on billboards. And it's a colorblind retoucher that's finishing off that work. It's, it absolutely blows my mind, but it, it's a testimony to how the marketplace works is the industry is not, as a general rule, is not interested in perfectly color balanced. Well, let me ask you this, though. They're interested. In- I know some some brands are very specific about their color, like Coca-Cola yes. Red, John Deere Green. You know exactly. What would you do for a for a commercial job like like that, where they have such an identifiable color? I did a, a campaign for Crown Royal, um, and they have a purple, a purple brand. And I was finishing off the image, and I went to my uh, the final. I went and got a blue photo filter and a red photo filter. And I pulled the sliders until I thought, okay, purple is probably, let's say uh, 75% blue. Let's just say 25% red. I don't know. I'm just throwing the number out here. And I captured a JPEG, sent it off to the client. He goes, well, let's see. I think we need a little more red in there. So I went back, slid the red slider over, sent it off. Three times it took, but I got the perfect purple. I don't see the purple, but I got it to them, and they ran the ad in the magazines and everything else. Uh-huh. So, so for everyone know, listening, if they don't have the drive, just be colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> well, or, or here's what I would say, is that we all have something that we could probably say is a handicap or sure. something that we're not very good Absolutely. at. Absolutely. You'd be lying to yourself if you didn't. If you said if you said you did. Yes, and I would say that that what we call say a handicap or whatever it is could be your ticket to success. Yeah, that's a great point. It could be something that um, I was in Barcelona and my wife Amy's going to kill me because I don't remember the 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 uh, cathedral, the name of the cathedral, but it's this cathedral that's more of a it was considered at the time a modern design of of not the traditional cathedral and the architect that did that it's you it the, the columns are like they look like trees that come up into the ceiling and whatever anyways it's very famous it's um been under construction for like 150 years or 200 i don't know some really long time but the architect architect was a very sickly child when he was little and instead of going to school at that time whatever that was he would go up his mom would take him out in the forest and they'd lay in the forest and just absorb life, life lessons. And all that childhood of him, he was very sick. Um, later when he got healthy, that influence of nature while he was sick became his signature look as an architect later in life. And so there's a lot of things that happen to us. We get beat up in an alley and get left for dead or we're an orphan left on a doorstep for you know, uh, you know, abandon or whatever it is, there's things in our lives that happen that I believe can shape us as a positive thing for in the future of who we are. Well, that's with a, with a certain attitude. Absolutely. I mean, you're, yep. you're, you're, that's a glass half full attitude. And unfortunately, a lot of people look at things with a glass half empty attitude and it sets them towards a totally different path. So who do you want to hang out with? Yeah. Hundred percent. I want to hang out with successful people and people that have a positive attitude, outlook on life. That's going to rub off on you, right? I remember I have this assistant that 
I used for years when I was out in DC. And every time I see him now, he, he always laughs. He says, yeah, for the last 25 years, he's been on his own as a photographer, but he always says, what would Joel do? You know, cause when I get out in a situation, I always look at the positive. If there's a problem in front of me, I always look at go, Oh, that's not really a problem. Let's do it. Let's do this. One time I was, I was, um, doing an ad campaign for, um, carpooling. It was through, um, Oh, I don't know, Washington state or Washington DC or, or, or Virginia or my Maryland, whatever. And so we had all the art directors and creative directors and talent. We had this car that we brought in to put these people in and I was strobing it. And these people were like sitting in the car going like they're driving down the road and we get the car. And the very first thing that we noticed was that the back windows only went down halfway. It was like a Ford Taurus or something. And I'm like, what, what car has windows that only go down halfway? Right. I don't like, and so, and we had everything there, like all the, talent, everything's ready to go. The light, you know, the early morning and we, the windows are half way up. They can't go all the way down. We needed them all the way down. And, and as soon as that happened, I went, Oh, no problem. I ran over and got a screwdriver and I started tearing the doors <laughs> apart and I pulled the window right out of it. <laughs> and we go on with the shoot. And, and my friend Joe laughs. He goes, there's never a problem that Joel can't try to solve. I would have taken a rock to the thing and just busted. Yeah, it. Yeah. that was going to be the story. Yeah. I thought you were going to walk over and smash is, them. It's not. It's not a glitch. Let's just move forward. It's. 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 Um, it's fun solving problems, yeah. and there's always a way to to do something, and uh, to get things moving forward. Well, I think a lot of people, uh, how I I explain it, I think a lot of people, their jobs are professional problem solving. Are you solving right. problems in the field of accounting? Are you solving problems in the field of photography? Are you veterinary? You know, what are you solving problems on today? You're going to have problems or tasks, but everything can be called a problem or a task. You just check them off. Just keep going. You know, that's that's kind of life, whether it's family, work, you know, whatever. So, well, Joel, I have a question for you. Who do you look up to? Because I know a lot of people listen and look, look up to you. Who are some of the people you look up to? Here, one of the questions that, that I get, it's a similar question, is I am influenced by other photographers. I love, when, I, I love to see a photographer that has work that I'm jealous. Mm-hmm. Right? I go, oh, I wish that was my work. Mm-hmm. Or I wish I could do it that well. Right? So I love that because then that becomes a benchmark for me to reach or a, a goal for me to go out after. Right. And so I've been influenced by a lot of photographers, not just some of the great masters that we talked about, Irving Penn and whatever. Um, but I'll tell you who really influences me the most is when I see someone who never sits still and is a hard worker. It's the hardworking people that win me over. I hate lazy people. So not necessarily photographers, just generally you're motivated by motivate or you're inspired by motivated people. Yes. I'm like, I want to be like that, Yeah, you know? And I, I, I love it when one of my assistants says, I go, how do, how do you think today went? And they go, you wore me out because <laughs> I'm going a hundred miles an hour. Right. <laughs> and I love that. I love people that are like that, that just that, that don't wait. They go and move forward. And and, and so those, those kind of, and I see people too, that are very good marketers and I'll go, I can learn from that person. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much photography. 
that uh, you know other photographers that do influence me. But I think it's uh, just people in the industry that are very successful. I like to I like to uh, sort of uh, learn. I want to learn something from them. Sure, great answer. I love that. Well, Joel, we are. Uh a good length in and there's a million things that we could ask you but we'll save that for season two what i want to know is where can people find your work where can people find your education um t- tell the listeners and the viewers where, where they can get your information well everything goes to joelgrimes.com um my portfolio is in there you can click on just scroll down a uh, portfolio or just go portfolio.joelgrimes.com I just updated my website with some new images. I had just been so far behind. Um, so I'm kind of excited. I put a whole, uh, a whole new menu uh, or a, um, a section of some of the cowboy stuff I was doing, um, the still life stuff I was doing, which you know people think I'm a portrait photographer. Um, you know, some new stuff that, that finally got up there. Um, I just finished the beauty portrait masterclass. It's not out yet, but I just finished editing it. I'm looking forward to getting that out um, to educate people, hopefully. And yeah. so I've heard nothing but um, positive things, by the way, on those those master classes that you're doing. Um, excellent work. They're very affordable, you know, and it's not just like the university of YouTube content that you can get. I mean, this stuff is you go pretty deep, and you know, you can be a fly on the wall and see everything that Joel's doing. So um, yeah, and, and those classes are awesome. I love there's there's Two things I love teaching more than anything, and we'll leave it at this. I love teaching people about how to make a living with their camera, and I love teaching people about lighting. Those are the two things I love more than anything. I, and I, I get so excited when I see someone grasp this mystery of lighting. They get it. They're like, oh, that makes sense now. And I love it when someone calls me up or emails me and says, you know, your marketing class changed my life, and now I'm making a living with my camera. Unbelievable. That's got to be the most rewarding comment that you can hear from, from a fellow photographer. Well, awesome. Well, Joel, we appreciate your time today. I know the listeners uh, appreciate it. Anybody that's watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel below. And if you are listening, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you subscribe to the channel uh, so you're notified every time we release a new episode of Photo Pros Weekly. For Olivia and Joel, I'm Brandon. Have a great week. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.